Welcome to The Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Today, our topic is on gallstones as well as its complications. So gallstones, in the gallbladder, there are quite a few different complications. There's things such as cholelithiasis, biliary colic, acute cholecystitis, and acute cholangitis. It all sounds the same, but actually it's very important that we all get to know what exactly each term means and not confuse them because they all have different causes. And so that's our purpose of today's talk is to make sure we understand what it is, uh, hopefully clear up some areas where we aren't so clear and then we'll talk it through. So, Hamid. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually, Andy, just by looking at the number of diseases that can affect the gallbladder. Such a tiny organ can have so many different issues it's, with it's it. It's so small. It just my, it's mind-boggling how much issues someone can have with a gallbladder. Yep. Let's start with the basic gallstones, which is what everyone gets obsessed about and, and what everyone likes to know about. The name for, the I guess, the medical name for gallstones is cholelithiasis. Yep. It's defined as um, essentially gallstones in the gallbladder. The important component about cholelithiasis lithiasis is the fact that you've got two types of gallstones. You've okay. got cholesterol stones, which account for majority, about 80% of the cases of okay. gallstones. Yep. And they can consist from a diverse range of concentrations of cholesterol from 50% to almost 100%. Yep. Because cholesterol is really fatty, it has a yellowish appearance and it can be a little bit spongy as well. Okay, yep. The other stone that you may come across in your readings would be uh, the pigmented stones. They're predominantly comprised of unconjugated bilirubin, mm -hmm. and they can occur not just in the gallbladder, but they can occur anywhere in the biliary tree. So on its way to the to the gallbladder, on its way out of the gallbladder towards the um, okay. the stomach. Yeah. So it's an interesting, anyway. uh, interesting, but less common type of gallstone. Yeah. Can you remind me what why gallstones come about? We always hear about them, but what's the actual cause of patients developing cholelithiasis? From what my understanding was, these gallstones essentially is an imbalance of certain components in in the bile. So as Hamid mentioned before, there's the two types, the cholesterol stones as well as the pigmented or bilirubin stones. With the cholesterol stones, obviously you've got a higher component of cholesterol. And so that could be a hyper secretion of cholesterol. The other reason why it could occur is because the cholesterol itself needs to be solubilized into this liquidy form. And some, and that's by using bile salts as well as another, another component called lecithin, L-E-C-I-T-H-I-N, lecithin. And when the bile salts and lecithin and there's an imbalance between these guys and the amount of cholesterol, you can have a high cholesterol con concentration and this, this will cause the cholesterol to crystallize and form these solids and eventually this will all form this huge clump into this large or the, a cholesterol stone. One important thing I think we should be aware of or cognizant of is that with the cholesterol stones, they are yellow in the uh, color as Hamid mentioned, but they don't usually show up on x-rays because yeah, they don't contain calcium. That's right. Whereas the pigmented stones, maybe, they might contain a bit of calcium and they might show on x-rays. But since Hamid also very importantly mentioned, cholesterol stones are 80% or most of the uh, presentations of stones. So maybe the value of actually when somebody says, oh, I think I've got gallstones, or if you think they've got gallstones, the value of actually sending them off to an x-ray might not be that important. Yeah, exactly. We can talk about investigations mm. in a second as well. But that's a but really yes. good point that you raised, Andy.
handy. So we mentioned about how there's an imbalance between secretion and sol- solubilizing agents yeah. as a risk factor for developing yeah. gallstones, especially gl- uh, cholesterol-based gallstones. But you know, sometimes the gallbladder may not be contracting as effectively, oh. or it may bowel may not be used regularly. So in patients who are on really low-fat diets, okay. or who lose weight rapidly, where there is so they don't need the actual exactly uh, that bowel just sticks around in the gallbladder for a long time, and it can oh. deposit out of liquid and and form those cholesterol. So there can be problems with the fluid itself, yeah, or it could be problems with the actual external. Bite. Yeah, actually, exactly. one thing I don't think I mentioned was although we're talking about a high cholesterol amount, it's actually not a high cholesterol diet or a Western diet isn't one of the causes of why people get these cholesterol stones. It's actually the imbalance of it. That's, yeah, that's what I found interesting. Yeah, but, exactly. Okay. It's very interesting. And finally, um, with some patients can have lots of mucus being secreted into the gallbladder as well. Okay. Yeah. And that can start trapping these mm-hmm. bowels within the lumen and cause cause further development of gallstones as well. Mm. So I guess you mentioned the diet side of it. Can you just remind me what some of the risk factors are for patients yeah. who develop gallstones? Mm. So when I said the diet side, there there is no really diet side towards. So a fatty diet is not one of the risk factors. For for cholesterol stones. On the other hand, there is this sort of, what I was told, there is this way, a mnemonic, you could say, to to remember who or what is more at risk of developing these cholesterol stones. So what what I was told was it's uh, fat, fertile, female, 40, and fair. So th- we're talking about obese um, patients, female patients, pregnant patients in the age around 40 years or so, and also fair. So we're talking about of a Caucasian, Caucasian popul- population. Was there any other ones that you... I... No, that's pretty much the way I learned as well. So looking more into it, yeah, you're right. You asked that. So the female gender, people... Uh, what about the female gender? Yeah, it, causes it. It's not exactly... There may be an association with estrogen levels because estrogen. the oral contraceptive pill is a risk factor for developing gallstones as well. Yep. Patients who are on... Whose gallbladder isn't just emptying because like we mentioned they're not using it are at risk is also patients who are starving or who uh, receive TPN so parental nutrition through oh. uh, in- into the vasculature are at an increased risk of developing it as well interesting and again those who um, lose weight really rapidly because that you know it could be due to the fact that they completely are not consuming any fatty diet mm-hmm. so that bile just stays in the gallbladder and then yep. it increases the risk of this deposition or depositing out of cholesterol is depositing out of this liquid phase in terms of risk factors for people pigmented stones patients who have cirrhosis or conditions that cause lots of bilirubin to be produced so catastrophic yeah hemolysis okay may be uh, risk factors for it and again as we mentioned previously biliary stasis is another risk factor is also when bile is just not being secreted now in terms of things that can minimize gallstone formation having having statin being on a statin medication so let's say atorvastatin or simvastatin anything that lowers your cholesterol as well as supposedly vitamin C and maybe coffee although i'm not 100 percent sure how how much evidence there is supporting that yeah. but apparently statins there is um, a decent amount of evidence supporting the use of statins yeah but and can you just tell me so these patients develop gallstones what are some of the clinical manifestations of this disease interestingly with gallstones unless they clog up something you don't notice that they're there so they just can have it all the time exactly i might have a gallstone right Mm -hmm. now but as long as i don't have any as long as it doesn't go anywhere too small and it doesn't block up my bile duct i won't notice it and from what i'm i'm under the impression that we won't really treat it unless you know yeah i think that's pretty much the case is that treatments are very uh, are not commonly done unless you become symptomatic but there are ways what are some things that actually 
Well, what can it do? Yeah, what, it can. It can, can it's it actually, us? it seems like it can predispose you to all the other complications that we're going to talk about later. Seriously. So it can, we'll talk about this in, yep. in a little bit more detail, but it can cause biliary colic in about 10 to 25% of patients. Yep. It can cause cholecystitis or inflammation of the gallbladder, which we can talk about. Yep. Cholecholetheasis. So actually, gallstone is blocking uh, the ducts. Uh, one of the... Uh, the common bile duct. There's the common bile duct, for okay, example, yep. Yep. but without causing an infection. Mm. It can cause cholangitis, which we can talk about, but yep. it can cause a whole heap of other complications um, anything in particular essentially all of those complications can be caused by gallstones but okay. at a very varying prevalence okay, in, yep. in the population yep. so if you're suspecting gallstones right what are how can, how can you prove your suspicions is that x-rays are not the best approach mm. but what can be used to there's diagnose? a cheap way ultrasound yeah. ultrasounds they will go through well they use essentially uh, actually the the mechanism of the ultrasound is a bit above me at the moment but essentially I think it's, it's above me as well but the principles make yeah, sense. Yeah, so it, it, I think it's like some sort of sound waves that bounce off objects, go through different densities and get reflected back. Exactly. And the stones, no matter whether if it's a cholesterol or a pigmented stones, they bounce back pretty well. Yeah, so it's echogenic, I think is the term. Echogenic. Yeah. And they cause this thing called shadowing underneath. Yeah, is that correct? yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's, it can suggest that there is something going on there. Yes. But if you really, really need to know what's going on, mm-hmm. you perform an endoscopic retrograde clangiopancreatography. What a mouthful. I think or also ERCP is we will use ERCP. I will for stick now. with ERCP. And and so that's an endoscopic approach to be able to visualize, but yep. also ascertain whether the lumen is blocked. Yep. And using ERCP, you can actually intervene. Well, we can talk about the treatments a little bit later, but yep. using that technique, you can actually remove the gallstones if it's causing blockage. That can be quite invasive and less invasive, but more costly approach would okay. be magnetic resonance cholangiopancreatography, or <laughs> from this point onwards, yep. MRCP. Yeah. Or another approach would be percutaneous transhepatic cholangiography where you inject um, contrast into the hepatic parenchyma and that can help help you visualize so does that light up like the bile tree i think so i think that's how i've never seen it but i think that's how how yeah. it works but the key thing is ercp is commonly used ultrasounds are commonly used and mrcp where resources are available can be used in okay. a less invasive form yeah let's not talk about treatments yet because no. the treatments stem from managing the complications of gallstones we kind of mentioned how to reduce risk factors yes so in terms of complications let's go with let's talk about biliary colic so Biliary colic, to put it simply, is defined as gallstones that transiently impact in the cystic duct, so on the outlet into the common bile duct from the gallbladder. But it's not infected. It's important to recognize that there's no infections involved. Biliary colic, so I don't see any itis in it. Nothing. No. No inflammation. It's just pure blockage. No inflammation. That's right. Of the cystic duct only. So what what is colic? why, Why colic? I think it's colic is as a general term referred to the type of pain. It's a okay. incre- waning and so uh, decreasing pain. Coming and going. Coming right? and going. Uh, so that's does, what it does. That have something to, dis- to do with the actual condition? Uh, it suggests that if you, you are getting this, then it suggests that yeah, you you are experiencing this sort of waning pain sort okay. of situation. It's also common for kidney stones as well. Renal colic is another term for it. Ah, yeah. So can you just tell me what the clinical features of biliary colic are? As I was asking Hammer just then, so this pain is a coming going away pain and where you will find it is typically in the right upper quadrant um so it can usually last after a fatty meal or it can occur at night time usually not after fasting and there is physiological reasons for yeah. why this occur um, because you're not releasing bar i guess if you're not having exactly. fatty food it's just not it's, it's just staying there so from my understanding what the pain is stemming from is essentially this 
you you have these bile uh, sorry this these gallstones that develop and try to picture again so what is a gallstone called in in fancy terms cholelithiasis so when the cholelithiasis is developed they will eventually one day go down a bile duct and get stuck so once it gets stuck we end up with this thing called biliary colic yeah because the muscles are spasming to try to push it out yeah no it's not happening so it's detected as pain especially after a meal you've got you've got the bile duct that tries to well the gallbladder that tries to contract and now it's clogged so every time it contracts it builds up in pressure it's gonna hurt so that's why uh, but after after the meal when you don't need when when the gallbladder isn't really stimulated the pain's not going to occur because the gallbladder is not trying to contract. Yeah. So it comes and goes away and it usually is after a meal. Any other clinical features that I might have missed? No, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, it the, the pain is a big component to this and it can sometimes radiate to the right shoulder as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that can be a, a potential sign of patients having blockage of the cystic duct or yep. biliary colic. Yep. So how do you treat it, Andy? Treatments or investigations? Uh, actually, treat? yeah, yeah, let's talk about investigations first. How do you actually investigate? We kind of alluded to it before, yeah. but how do you investigate? So with all of these things, the with biliary colic especially, let's say, um, you've got a buildup of... Uh, you've got a clogged bile duct essentially and so you're going to build up in bilirubin and i think this build up in the bilirubin is going to reflect on some liver mm. function tests especially if it's progressed so you can see elevated bilirubin and they might also present with jaundice if they've got too much oh, bilirubin. jaundice yeah so we mentioned that it's going to raise the um the bile uh, sorry the bilirubin levels yep. but what about the ast as well as ggt's do you think i think it doesn't cause a big ast rise but i think specifically it may cause a, a elevation in alp and ggt which are often markers are, are produced by these enzymes are produced by um ductal cells uh, in the liver and so yep. they may be elevated yep. it may not be yep but also i guess you want to do some some left field sort of uh, analysis as well blood work so you want to look at pancreatic Enzymes, particularly amylase or lipase, because why, why is that? if if the stones are you're not see so when you do when a patient presents you're not sure whether it's a cystic blockage or whether it's further down towards okay and whether common bile duct meets the pancreatic duct. If it is further down, then that could cause back of all these pancreatic enzymes. And those enzymes can start digesting oh, or causing damage to the pancreas. And good. so it can cause leakage of pancreatic enzymes. And yeah. so you want to rule that out. It's a bit of a left field exam, yeah. but it's extremely important because uh, pancreatitis can be life-threatening and you want yes. to make sure you rule it out. But aside from uh, having that, you can, as we mentioned, you have an ultrasound because ultrasounds enable to help you visualize the, the nature of the blockage. Yeah. They're pretty much that. So blood tests and ultrasound of the main approach yeah what about treatment Andy? now that we're kind of up yep. to that point? so from my understanding it's quite a painful painful um disease process so i think some anesthetics as well as some An analgesics sorry, an analgesics as well as some rehydration during these episodes because these patients may not have been eating for a while because of the pain or they're so dehydrated so you give them fluid replacement oh, is that why yeah would wouldn't removing the stone once the stone passes these problems should go away wouldn't, wouldn't that yeah be yeah exactly so i mean elective cholecystectomy which is a fancy term for removal of the gallbladder can help in 95 percent of the cases it's associated with very low risk of complications so okay. The main thing that you worry about is accidentally chopping away the common biliary duct, and that is a huge, huge <laughs> Where's issue. Where's the bile going to go? Yeah, exactly. From so the, the bile liver. from the liver just isn't is is stuck there, can't yeah. it? So it can cause liver damage. That's not good. And that can be life threatening. It's a rare complication, but we need to be mindful of. Yeah. And often nowadays, a laparoscopic approach is 
preferred because it means that patients stay in the hospital uh, for a smaller period of time, smaller scars, yep. and the reduced complications, which is a, a bonus. In an emergency, though, you you know if if patients really unwell, you have to have to open them up and and get in there. But yep. that is not commonly performed unless it's an emergency. Yeah. So that is biliary biliary colic in a nutshell. Yep. Let's talk about some of the more interesting pathologies that can follow from gallstones. Let's talk about acute cholecystitis so let me guess from the name so it's acute so it's something that builds up quickly quickly and cholecystitis so so gallbladder inflammation kind of yeah exactly so it's yeah really well said you can actually understand the pathology from the name so it's inflammation in the gallbladder resulting from sustained gallbladder impaction gallstone impaction yeah Yeah. so you've got sorry gallstone impaction so you've got this gallstone in the bladder all the time constantly irritating the gallbladder and that can cause inflammation in uh, in this sort of situation, the impaction can also occur in the cystic duct. Okay. Um, and that can obviously inflame the, the duct as well. Yeah. In a very small percentage of patients, about 5 to 10%, there, there isn't any observable gallstones. Yeah. And that's called a calculus. So, calculus, so stone. A calculus. A calculus. So, it's missing a stone. So, it's called a calculus cholecystitis. And the reason for that could be due to gallbladder ischemia or stasis. But the, the underlying mechanism isn't fully, is not well understood. So, if you suspect cholecystitis, Andy, and if it involves inflammation, what yep. are some of the clinical features that you can come to expect? patients once again i would expect since it's involving the gallbladder itself we'd be talking about this right upper quadrant pain i would expect them to i would think that it would be also radiating to the yeah shoulder, yeah right? there could be so they could yeah. have some some of the symptoms of biliary colic but there's an important feature that that you might expect in someone who has has inflammation inflammation so we're talking about fevers yeah about? so yeah. they can have possibly yeah. maybe low-grade fever yeah but also they can have elevated white blood cell counts as well oh. because this inflammation yep. the neutrophils might be up now there's a particular sign that when you do an abdo exam that you look for as well i think that you're talking about the murphy sign that's right where you essentially um basically you use your hand and um i think in the right hypochondriac yeah, region you get the patient to breathe in and yep. then as long once your finger basically touches or gets close to the gallbladder and that should elicit quite some pain that's right yeah yep. and if you lift your hand up i think it can cause rebound tenderness as well oh. which is indicate it suggests yep. that there might be something going on with the gallbladder finally also they can have um the boar sign as well that you mentioned so that's that ripe subscapular pain and you know, the shoulder pain that they can experience as well yeah so let's talk about investigation so we kind of alluded to that they're going to be potentially low have low grade fever so yep. that we might expect the white blood cell counts to be up mildly deranged lfts as well okay uh, alt ast and alp possibly and some bilirubin involvement as well okay yeah. but again we always come back to this diagnostic approach of underperforming an ultrasound which is not 98% sensitive. So it's quite sensitive for cholecystitis. Yeah. Once you develop cholecystitis, Andy, you can have some complications in addition to, to this condition. You can have gallbladder uh, mucosils where you have this large cystic obstructions because of all the uh, mucus that can be accumulating as a result of this inflammation. Mm-hmm. The inflammation can also impact on blood supply. So you can have gangrene uh, or formation. Oh, and this geez. chronic inflammation because of the gallstones can cause perforation as well. And it can perforate into your peritoneal fluid and peritoneal space. So that can be devastating complication. That does sound quite serious. Yeah. And sometimes that constant rubbing of this inflamed gallbladder against the duodenum, for example, can cause a cholecystoenteric fistula. So this 
this abnormal connection between the gallbladder into the uh, the duodenum. And so the, does that mean the stones cannot directly go? From yeah, the, it's crazy. Du, so the gallbladder into the duodenum. Yeah, exactly. And then what happens is that that gallstone can sometimes then cause um, an, an ileus, so the ab- obstruction and uh, decreased movement of the bowels, which can yes. be in its own complications so the as well. bowel is clogged with these gallstones yeah exactly Jeez. and another weird complication yep. is uh, emph- emphysematosa or uh, it, i always struggle with pronouncing this um cholecystitis where the bacteria in the in the bowel or and in the lumen can cause all this gas fluid gas production as well that that can be a, a potential complication if these bacteria then leak into the peritoneal space in, in the case of perforations. Yeah. But they're not very common. You just need to know that you've got gallstones, which leads to cholecystitis. And cholecystitis can, can have its own range of complications as well. I think one thing I don't think we mentioned earlier in the show was that the the also possibility of infections in the gallbladder. Yeah. Is that correct, right? Yeah. So... But that's in, that's another that's a complete entity on its own, which we can talk about. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. another complications that we can come to expect. Interesting. Okay, so we'll continue. On yeah. yeah. So, Andy, what are some of the treatments for gallbladder? We kind of it kind of makes sense. So I'm thinking of so from from my impression so far, we've talked about the stones, the biliary colic, and so far I think they're all quite similar, but just compounding on one another, mm. further adding on another possible way it could go wrong. So I would imagine. Um, so the pain, we would use analgesics to treat that. Yeah. With We mentioned before with the rehydration, we would do that. And we can get rid of the gallbladder if things get really serious. Exactly. Is there anything else that we should add on to it? Um, so like they've, they've got this thing about early and, and delayed interventions for cholecystectomies, right? Okay, yeah. um, it's, it appears that a delayed versus early intervention, so less than 72 hours, yeah. has equal morbidity and mortality. But the advantage of early cholecystectomy is that it leads to shorter hospitalization and recovery time. Okay. Um, and there isn't any additional benefits in delaying, aside from resource allocations and things like that within the healthcare system. So it looks like early is preferred. Okay. But often in practice, really delay intervention is what occurs so, unless it's an emergency. Okay, yeah. That's probably the main thing. So it's the same approach as uh, we talked about biliary colic where you rehydrate, Mm-hmm. You may even give antibiotics if you suspect risk of infection, and mm-hmm. also cholecystectomy is your mainstay of treatment. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about acute cholangitis. <clears throat> acute cholangitis is the next one you mentioned. Um, what what is it? It's pretty much the obstruction of the common biliary duct. So that's a, that's considered a medical emergency because nothing can flow. The bile produced from the liver yep. can't flow. The bile empty from the gallbladder can't go anywhere it's a complete blockage the reason this makes it really dangerous is the fact that it's been associated with bacterial overgrowth and pus formation and sepsis biliary sepsis and it can be life-threatening because sometimes patients present in 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 a very late stage of this condition and it can be really dangerous the reason it comes about is due to cholecholecholidocholithiasis which is Uh, blockage of stones in the common bile duct which isn't associated with infections but that bile just stagnates and stays stays there and so the duct isn't able to be flushed out with the action of bile so bacteria from the duodenum starts growing traveling back up into the ducts to cause this really significant infection what would be some common organisms that you'd suggest to know about so the common one is E. coli, which is present. It's okay. a normal flora, which is found in yep. the, in the uh, gastrointestinal tract. Klebsiella is an example. Pseudomonas and Enterococcus are other ones that we need to be mindful of and other proteus organisms as well. But E. coli would be an easy one to remember because it's so in the prevalent gut. In, the, in the gut. Yeah. 
So in terms of the clinical features, Andy, there are a couple of famous triads or pentads that we can talk about. Can you mention, tell me what the the, the triad of symptoms are? Uh, I remember this one called Charcot's triad. And so essentially the patient will develop fever, right upper quadrant pain and jaundice. But frankly, I think that kind of described pretty much all of them really the other guys as well yeah i guess Um, a distinguishing feature with this is that the fact that these guys are really sick okay it's very acute that's why it's and it's a medical emergency and they could be septic as well there's another thing as well so there's also reynolds pentad which is like charcoal triad so it's got fever upper quadrant pain jaundice but in addition to those they've got shock which makes sense because there's you know potentially bacterial infection sepsis yeah and confusion because of the whole process of shock and changes in uh, blood supply to the brain that does paint a very acutely unwell yeah so, it's, so that's why it's an emergency yeah and they can also have you know nausea and vomiting uh, abdominal distension um, acolic stool so because you're not releasing bile and bilirubin into the stool the then room. there's no color so they're so col- white yeah the, the stool appears much lighter in color yeah um, and also you have this jaundice, so the urine can also be much darker as well. They have this oh, okay. tea-colored urine as well. Yeah. So Andy, what are some of the investigations then? So from what we mentioned before, I'm picturing, so we're going to do blood tests and I'm going to look at the liver enzymes. Uh, we're also going to look at the white blood cell count we yep. mentioned before, yep. which should be raised as well. So LFTs, I would expect some raised bilirubin markers. Ultimately, I think another thing is an ultrasound too, to yeah. have a look at where the stone is and what is it blocking. Exactly. The other thing we need this would be really important in this case is to also check for amylase and lipase oh, to rule out pancreatitis because right. this is much further down now and it could potentially be blocking the pancreatic duct and all the pancreatic exocrine uh, secretions can be blocked up and then start digesting the yep. tissue the normal tissue that's pretty much it yep. so in terms of treatment we're kind of we almost sound like a broken record yes again you kneel by mouth because you don't want so no to be constantly produced that's right so no food you have to give electrolyte resuscitation fluid resuscitation okay yeah sometimes you might have to give nasogastric tubes to bypass maybe the gallbladder and provide nutrition that way oh, okay uh you also might need to also give anti actually anti uh, uh antibiotics yep. iv is very important because probably they, in about 80 percent of cases you need to instigate because of the shock yeah and, and the risk of sepsis yeah now in terms of those specific interventions ERCP yep. that we ma- mentioned so um, endoscopic retrograde clangiopancreas and geography the mouthful yeah ERCP I, that I always forget so just mention ERCP and <coughs> sphincterotomy which opens up the sphincter to allow the passage which of sphincter the, actually ODI is it yeah sphincter of ODI which is uh, in, in the junction of the um, major duodenal papilla yes. where the bowel emergence yeah yep. so you open that up and hopefully the stone passes naturally if you can't using that ERCP technique you can actually pull the stones out it's wow. amazing and you know imagine how the tightness of the space that you're working with yeah uh, and you can also do um, perky, uh, other sort of drainage approaches as well mm-hmm. and again you have to probably perform a cholecystectomy as well because mm-hmm. the risk of recurrence is quite high in these patients yep that's really it in terms of acute cholangitis it's it, yep. we can't emphasize how important and how, how so much of an emergency this is it's a medical emergency that's right so we kind of alluded to the next complication as well is goldstone pancreatitis and that's where you know so the goldstones block the enzyme flow for both the pancreatic duct as well as exactly the, the bile duct that's right and that can cause inflammation of the pancreas but 
the way to resolve this is actually to remove the blockage. So get rid of the goldstones and yep. you can improve um, the blockage. And also a cholecystectomy, as we mentioned, is important because these patients have a risk of reoccurrence of about 20% in the first month. So you really need to get rid of the, the gallbladder. That pretty much brings this discussion to an end. Andy, do you have any um, other questions or points that we want to discuss? No, I think we... We covered most of it, and I'm happy to go into summary right now. Great. So let's just yeah. quickly summarize. Let's let, let's not go into too much detail, but let's no. go through the key pathologies that we talked about, and let, okay. let's just define them. Yeah. Okay. So, cholelithiasis. It's a gallstone. It can be either cholesterol stones or pigmented stones. And so let's and it, it's asymptomatic. They're sitting finely in the gallbladder, and they don't cause any problems. Once they start causing a problem, let's say they get out of the gallbladder and they cause a blockage, they are called, it can become biliary colic. And so that is this pain that comes and goes, especially after meals, that's about it. Then let's say if this blockage eventually causes this inflammation of the gallbladder, that's called acute cholecystitis. And let's say if this inflammation is also coupled with this um, bacterial overgrowth as and formation of sepsis, this causes acute cholangitis. Let's say if this stone further goes down the bile tract and impacts also on the pancreas releasing its enzymes, it can cause gallstone pancreatitis. And that was all of the conditions. That's, yeah, that's really it from from the perspective of gallbladder. As yeah. always, if you guys have any questions or any suggestions, or if we've made some serious glaring errors, do let us know. We're always in, in the process of improving ourselves and uh, improving the podcast. Thank you for your time, and we'll catch up with you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.